You may be seated. Please open your Bible to the book of Mark. Book of Mark chapter 4. We're going to be looking at chapter 4 starting in verse 35 all the way to the end of chapter 5. Mark chapter 4 starting in verse 35. If you do not have a Bible, you can raise your hand and one of our ushers will let you use one of ours. If you don't own one, you can keep this one. Put your name in it. We'd love you to take it home with you. Read it. Apply it to your lives. Glorify God with your lives. But today... We are continuing a series in Mark. We've been talking um, about Mark for a while. We did one whole series that said Jesus more than a man. Last week, just last week, we started a new series said that Jesus is more than we expect. And today we are going to continue that. Before we start working through the passage, we're just going to read two verses in Mark chapter 5, verses 35 and 36. I'm going to read those if you will follow along silently. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 35. While he was still speaking... People came from the synagogue leader's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, Don't be afraid, only believe. This is the word of God. Now we're going to work back through this passage. We are going to start in chapter 4, verse 35. I did not misspeak. There are just a lot of verses here. Some of you may be looking at this going, we're about to be here for a long time. This is a lot of Bible. And you're right, I'm going to preach for an hour and a half, so just make yourself comfortable. Don't tempt me. I wish you could have seen some of your face. Some of you who are here for the first time were like, oh no, <laughs> why did we come to this church? It's going to be okay. It shouldn't take that long. Uh, God has a word for us though, so it'll take as long as it needs to. <laughs> what we find in this passage today is we find that Jesus, who Mark is trying to introduce to us through the whole book, his whole point is to show us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in this specific passage, the reason we put all these stories together, each one of these stories could have been its own sermon But he's making the same point in all of them. He's showing us that Jesus is all-powerful. He's the Lord over all things, over you and me, over all creation. And we'll, we'll see what all things he includes. But we also see that Jesus is truly compassionate. He is truly kind and merciful. And we're going to see both of those things in this passage. And the question I want you to be thinking about as we read and as we study is how do you respond to Jesus? Because often when we're confronted with his power and we think about how high and mighty God is, it may move us into a place of fear. Now, you may not call it fear. There are some ways fear manifests itself that we don't say, this is fear in my life. But I hope as we look through, you may find some ways that you respond to God in fear when Jesus is really inviting us to respond in faith. And I hope that's where we'll push to today, is to respond to who Jesus is in this passage in faith and trusting him and in believing that he is the Christ, the Son of God. So our first point shows up in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And in this passage, we're going to see Jesus' power over nature. Starting in verse 35, it says, On that day, when evening had come, he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along, since he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. Now, I've already talked on fear a little bit, and full disclosure, this would terrify me. Put me on a boat in a storm, the waves are coming over. Some of you, that may be your thing, you're like, nah, I get out in the water all the time, it's just a storm, whatever. I'm terrified as soon as that's happening, okay? We're in the boat and it's raining, I'm like, we should probably go in. 
That, that, I, that's, that's not my thing. Um, you, you know, they're actually on the Sea of Galilee here, so don't think like these disciples didn't know what they were doing. Some of them were fishermen. The reason it matters they're on the Sea of Galilee is because it's below sea level. And when you go to Galilee today, you can see this. It's below sea level, and there are mountains all around, which means clouds can just show up on you. You can't see them off in the distance. So once they're on you, you're out on the water, you've got to deal with it. And that's where they find themselves here. Water's coming over into the boat. Says he, talking about Jesus, was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. Y'all, Jesus took naps, first of all, just a little aside, so shout out to my nap takers in the room. But also, it says sleeping on the cushion. I just want to draw your attention to that just for a second, because if Mark is making something up, why would you say sleeping on a cushion? Doesn't that sound like a detail that may have actually been a story that really happened? I bring that to you because we read this, y'all. We're not reading a fairy tale here. This is an account of something that really took place. So Jesus is asleep on the boat with his disciples on the cushion. It says, so they woke him up, good, and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we are going to die? It's interesting to me here that they refer to him as teacher, especially getting at what Mark is going to be showing them about who Jesus is in this passage. Because they come to him with basically the lowest title they could have given him. There were lots of teachers. There were lots of rabbis. And they come and say, teacher, don't you care? Maybe you've felt that before. Maybe when you think of God right now, you would wonder if God cares. I think we'll discover in these passages that it's a very encouraging answer to that. Verse 39 says, he got up, rebuked the wind... And said to the sea, silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41 says, and they were terrified, and asked one another, who then is this, even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, I drew out just a moment ago, that if I'm on the boat and it's a storm, I'm going to be scared of the storm. Several of you agreed and were like, yes. The disciples, a lot of them, again, have been fishermen. This isn't that big a deal for them. It actually doesn't say in the text that they were afraid of the storm. There was a storm. They were afraid of this man who stood up and said, wind, stop. And the wind stopped. That's where their terror came in. They saw who this person was. They came to him and said, teacher. And he stands up and says, I am the Lord of creation. He shows them his power over all things. Now understand, as the disciples were Jewish, they had no paradigm for this. Because in the Old Testament, only God has the power over creation. Only God has power over nature. Moses, yes, he parted the Red Sea when God commanded him and did that through him. You may think of Elijah who prayed for it to not rain, but he was asking God. He couldn't just command the clouds to do things. Jesus wakes up out of a nap. I, I just picture him being like sleepy and being like, be still. <laughs> Legit reason for the disciples to be afraid when we actually put it in that context and think about it, right? Because now you're on this boat and you've been fighting the waves and everything. You're probably all soaking wet. And then Jesus just gets up and says, be still. And everything stops. And you're like, who is this? Who was taking a nap on our boat? Who is this Man, listen to what Paul writes about Jesus in Colossians 1, 15 through 17. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him 
in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. We would be terrified of the storm, but they were terrified of the one who stopped the storm because they knew what it meant for him to have power like that. He's not just another teacher. Only God has that power. This man must be God. The second part of this passage we're going to see is chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And we're going to see Jesus' power over spirits. And you're going to see some similar themes come in here. You're going to see how all these connect, I hope. Starting in verse 1, it says, They came to the other side of the sea, the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. I've been a pastor seven and a half-ish years. This kind of demon possession freaks us out even today. If you're here today, even if you're not a Christian, you say, I just believe there may be some spiritual stuff. If we see someone doing these things, we would be afraid. They're causing themselves self-harm. They are breaking chains. They are smashing chains. People are trying to tie him up, and he's not having it. Now, we got some pretty strong folks in here. If someone were in here that we said none of us altogether could restrain them, again, I'm afraid. That fear is very real because something much bigger than me is going on here. Verses 6 through 10 shift the story a bit, though. It says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name, he asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. Now, this is a weird interaction. This is like horror movie stuff. If you don't watch horror movies, like me, I'm not paying money to be scared. What's wrong with you people? But some of you really like horror movies, and that's like your thing. This is a freaky interaction because Jesus is talking to a man, but spirits are responding from within this man. Can you imagine asking a demon-possessed man, Hey, what's your name? And he says, Legion, for we are many? I'm running, y'all. I can't help but notice the disciples aren't there. <laughs> they just they just happen to be absent in this part of the passage. But also, I'm like, my boy's the disciples. I get you. Jesus, though, is telling the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And this legion of demons that no one else could subdue are afraid of Jesus. Look at verses 11 through 13. It says, A large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, Send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. 
several things I notice here. We said this is legion inside this man. This is many demons. For me, many demons is like three or four, right? You got one demon in you. I'm a little concerned. Three or four, we're good. Two thousand? Something major was happening here, but notice these demons were subject to the Lord who has power over spirits. He had to give them permission even to go into the pigs. And so they did, and it drowned the pigs. Verse 14 continues, says, The men who tended them ran off and reported in the town and the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. Once again, some of you could relate to me of if there's this guy with 2,000 demons in him that no one can subdue, that's what I would be afraid of. But the people in this story are not afraid until they see that man in his right mind. And they look at Jesus. Now remember, just imagine if all of us in this room had been the ones trying to subdue this guy. And you come back and you see that one guy who's sitting there just commanded the demons out of him. I would have a little fear too. I would have a little apprehension of, who are you? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're kind of skeptical about Christianity, we welcome you, we're glad you're here with us. But if these kind of claims are being made about Jesus in this book that's supposed to be giving a real account, I beg you to ask that question. Who is Jesus, really? Who is this Jesus? We see Jesus' power over sickness in verses 25 through 34. You'll notice I skipped a few there. We're going to come back to them. Don't worry. Verses 25 through 34, we see Jesus' power over sickness. This is now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years, had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Once again, we see something that would scare me. 12 years of an illness? You spent everything you own and you're not any better? In fact, you've only gotten worse? Some of you may be carrying illnesses right now that I don't even know about. You've been dealing with them. You're suffering with that. It's painful for you. Maybe you've had something before that you've overcome. I think we've all at least known someone who's had a long-term illness. This woman had an illness for 12 years, and it only become worse. Verses 27 to 29 says, Having heard about Jesus... She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased. And she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. I want you to notice. It says right there in verse 27, having heard about Jesus. Mark doesn't tell us what she had heard about Jesus. Mark doesn't dig into that, but we know she had heard something about Jesus that gave her enough faith to say, this man can heal me if I just touch his garment. 
Jesus didn't turn around and give some spell or, or whatever else or say, you know, go wash three times, which he does on other occasions. She reaches out and touches the hem of his cloak. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to take off my jacket and start waving around and start slapping people if you're at the wrong church <laughs> for that kind of thing. If that's your background, I apologize. You're not Jesus. Whoever's doing that is probably not Jesus, so take that seriously. But Jesus' cloak here has his power because he's the one wearing it. There's no power necessarily in his cloak. Do we understand that? It's because Jesus is the one wearing it, and she has faith that Jesus can heal her. She touches his cloak, and she's instantly healed of something she's had for 12 years. Just for a moment, I want you to think about what you were doing 12 years ago. 12 years ago. We've been 2007, summer 2007. I'm going to go ahead and share with you all. I know sometimes people are like, don't tell people how young you are. It hurts your credibility in preaching. Whatever. Summer 2007 was right after I graduated high school. That's real. That's where we are right now. <laughs> 12 years is a long time to suddenly reach out and touch and have everything from that 12 years changed. 12 years of suffering gone in an instant because Jesus has power over sickness. In verse 30, it says that once Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. I have no idea what that feels like, but it is really cool to think about. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. So Jesus knew power had gone out from him. He knew someone had been healed I think he even knew who the woman was. He was wanting her to identify herself. Often when Jesus asks questions, he's making a point in Scripture. We find, I think here is no different. It says in verse 33, The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Notice again, she's been sick 12 years. It doesn't say anything about her being afraid that she's unclean in these times and going into a crowd. It doesn't say that she fears that if she touches Jesus, what might happen to her. At this point, she's just desperate. She doesn't care. She's not afraid until she has been healed. And now Jesus is drawing attention to her in the crowd. She's experienced Jesus' power, and now she's afraid. There's a little more here that we will come back to. But this is all happening, this whole exchange with this woman who's been sick, in the middle of another story that shows us Jesus' power over death. Going back to verse 21, look at verses 21 to 24. It says, When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, My little daughter is dying Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. It is in the midst of Jesus going to heal Jairus' daughter that all of this happened with this other woman. Remember Jairus, what he's asking here. My little daughter is dying. That's urgent, everybody. If I come to you and I tell you somebody is dying and I'm trying to get you to come with me, and you start asking me questions or being slow, I'm leaving you behind and go and help this person. You understand? 
And I bring all that up because after this exchange with the woman, after she is healed, we see in verse 35, while he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house, that's Jairus' house, and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now just pause for a second. Mark keeps writing. We're going to see him more there. But imagine being Jairus. You got to Jesus as quickly as you could when he got off the boat. There's a big crowd, but you're trying to get Jesus through saying, my daughter's going to die, my daughter's going to die. Come on, we got to get to her. He stops and spends all this time healing this lady and talking to her. And Did Jesus let her down? We're right back to where the disciples were in the boat, right? Jesus, don't you care? Verse 36 says, when Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid. Only believe. There's a shift that happens here. All these other people we've looked at, I've shown you how they were afraid, you know, of, or I would have been afraid of the storm, but they, they ended up being afraid of Jesus. I would have been afraid of the demoniac, but that they were, they feared Jesus after the healing. This other woman, she could have been afraid for multiple reasons, but she wasn't afraid until she was healed and looked at Jesus. Jairus here becomes our very relatable character, where he fears the death of his daughter. He fears death. What's more relatable for humans? And Jesus spoke directly to him. Don't be afraid. Only believe. It says he did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James' brother. They came to the leader's house, and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. <laughs> Don't laugh at Jesus, he'll put you outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Now let's just make sure we don't misinterpret this because I've heard people say before, no, Jesus tells them she's just asleep. He's not actually bringing anybody from the dead. You know, often in scripture, it refers to people who have died bodily as being asleep, referring to one day will be resurrected. Okay? People back then weren't so dense. We're like, oh, 2,000 years ago, that they probably didn't know that she was actually just asleep. No, they could tell when people were dead, okay? She was dead. They knew that she was dead. They had a right to laugh at Jesus. He puts them outside, though, and goes in where the child is. Verse 41, then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kohn, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. <laughs> Another random detail that if this isn't true, why include that? Like it matters how old she is. If she died and came back to life, that's a pretty big deal. At this, they were utterly astounded. Valid? Then they gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. If this isn't true, why mention that she's 12? Well, I mentioned that Jesus said, oh, she's hungry. Apparently dying makes you hungry when you come back. Why include that unless that's actually what Jesus said after he raised the little girl from, the life, from dead to life? 
Why include these stories in, in this, this grand story of Mark? Wouldn't these things be easy to disprove because no one has power like this over, over nature, over spirits, or over sickness? Certainly not over death. But that's the point that Mark is trying to make, is that Jesus does have power over death. And something that was extremely important that happened in verse 36, where we saw this, this shift is that Jesus is not only all-powerful, but he's also truly compassionate. If we only see Jesus' power in the response of fear in this account, we miss a major part of the story. Some of you may have been looking as I was going, going, why is he not saying something about this? But I think this proves once again, as, as we're saying in this series, that Jesus is more than we expect. He's not only great and powerful and above us, he is that. But Jesus uses his power with great compassion. Look back in chapter 4, verse 38. He's when they're in the boat. He was in the stern sleeping on the cushions. They woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, you could hear that as a rebuke, but I hear it as compassion. I hear it as mercy to these disciples, calling them, inviting them to a better way. It says right after that that they were still terrified, but Jesus was inviting them to faith. With the demoniac, we find in chapter 5, starting in verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. Jesus wasn't just flexing his powers. He was showing mercy and compassion and kindness. With the woman who came to be healed, we see in verse 34, he says to her, Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. The kindness of Jesus overwhelms me. This woman would have been ceremonially unclean to the point that she had to stay out of town. She's been that way for 12 years. She's an outcast's outcast, okay? The people who were outcasts didn't hang out with her. Jesus heals her and encourages her. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. And then again we see in verse 36, when Jesus overheard them telling Jairus that his daughter had died, don't be afraid, only believe. If you look and you see who Jesus really is, if you look and you see who the Bible is saying that Jesus is, that he is the Lord over all, that he is all-powerful, you probably should be a little bit afraid the first time you hear that. Because it reminds us of how finite we are. 
It reminds us even of our own sin because we know that he is holy. And if he's all-powerful and holy, that could be really bad for sinners like us. And it is bad for sinners unless we know his compassion and we respond in faith. We find the perfect picture of Jesus' power combined with his compassion in the gospel. The fact that Jesus, who is the eternal Son of God, remember, we believe in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We sang earlier of this triune God we find in Scripture. He has always existed. We read in Scripture earlier that all things have been made through him and for him, and by him all things are held together. He came to us and took on flesh and became like us and lived perfectly without sin. We're reading here of his actual life. He's not some made-up figure. He lived perfectly without sin as we never could. And we'll find later in Mark, and we find throughout Scripture, that Jesus willingly then went to the cross for sinners like you and me. He took on the sins of his people on himself. And he bore the wrath of God for those sins that we deserve. The greatest show of love and compassion is him laying down his life for us, bearing the wrath of God for us. He died. He gave up his life and was dead three days. But he didn't stay dead. Jesus is alive right now at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for his people And he will come back for his people. He has risen from the grave. He's defeated sin and death. He's defeated all spiritual powers. He's going to renew all of nature. Sickness and death have no hold on him. He is not afraid of sickness and death. He is not afraid of spiritual powers. He is not afraid of storms. He's compassionate. And kind to those of us who are. To those of us who can't face storms, who can't face sickness and death, who cannot deal with our sin on our own. He looks at us with kindness and compassion and love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you're here today and you are not a believer, the application here for you is simple. Turn away from your sin and believe in Jesus Christ. Leave a life of fear and trust him. Respond in faith to him. Turn away from any attempts of trying to save yourself by proving that you're good enough. Respond in faith to the compassion of God in Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. But many of you, even our visitors here with us today, you claim to be a Christian. You claim to be a Christ follower and you say... You said earlier, Jake, that that we respond to Jesus with fear, and and I don't see that, but I think it's true. We may not call it fear, but for some reason when we speak of God as all-powerful or sovereign, we're not sometimes afraid. Maybe, Maybe we're afraid he'll abuse his power. That if he's truly all-powerful, then why do bad things happen? We don't trust him with his power. We may be afraid that if we do trust him, that may mean leaving behind something that we don't want to give up. 
people wouldn't normally call that fear. We call it hesitation or something, you know, better. But we're afraid. Say, this is the life I've always known, God. I don't want to trust you. So instead we try to trust our own power. And what do we find in our own power? We find sin and death. We find that we can't make it. We find ourselves in the same gloom and depression and loneliness that we always find ourselves in. If we would only look to him and trust him, we'll find new and abundant life in Christ. We may be afraid of trusting God because when we've trusted others, they've let us down. I know everybody in here, at some point in your life, you've trusted someone else and they've let you down. And I can tell you, as someone who's been a believer for 22 years, Jesus will not let you down. He is trustworthy. He is true to his word, always and forever. He always has been, he is, and he always will be. And when I say always, I mean eternally. There's no expiration date on his trustworthiness. Yes, Jesus is the all-powerful Lord of creation, Lord over the spiritual realm, Lord over sickness, Lord over death. But he's also the kind and compassionate Savior who wields his power for good. And we can trust him with that. If you're here today and you have not believed before, I pray that you would. If you're here today and you would say that I do trust Jesus, are there ways that you fear his power? Because I would invite you to no longer be afraid. Only believe. I think of all the different people in this story, and as usual, I find myself relating most to the disciples. I'm trying to see Jesus in my own terms, calling him teacher or something else. I, I see the storm, and I, I see that Jesus, do something about this storm. Do something about this thing that I've not seen you do something with yet. And when Jesus does, I don't get the bigger picture. I don't remember that he is God and that I'm just a created being. He has no obligation to love me. He does because of who he is. God has no obligation to love you, but he does because of who he is. I hope in these stories you see not only his power and the fear response, but I hope you hear his compassion for you. He sees you. He cares about you. He knows what you're going through and he loves you. And if you will trust Jesus, he will go through whatever you're going through with you. Let's pray.